0: Kevin and Catherine and Jen, thank you guys very much. Really appreciate that. Well, you know, the reason that we've been connected with Macarios is because we were connected to a missionary family there called named Kevin and Christine Lear. Kevin Lear, many years ago, moved with his family down to Dallas Seminary at the same time that Jen and I moved down there as well. Kevin invited me to carpool with him when I was a student there, and we carpooled together. And these years later, we are sponsoring children and connected to Macarios. One night when Jen and I went out to Kevin and Christine's house in Garland, Texas, um, we had a good evening there together, and then we decided to drive home late at night. For us, it was late. It was like 1030, super late uh, for us. We got home and uh, thought nothing of it, got in bed and woke up the next morning and there was this thing on our wall that started vibrating and ringing. It was a telephone stuck on the wall and they were calling us desperate early in the morning, about 6.30 or so, because they had seen the news that at our apartment complex, Ivanhoe Apartment Complex on the corner of Park and Abrams in Texas, there had been a murder the night before. A couple had been returning home from being away. And they were one, the girl was shot in her car, and the guy was shot outside on the, the parking lot. And of course, they were terrified that that was us. Turned out that it was a nurse returning home from her night shift, and she was shot in her car. She called her boyfriend to tell her he was, she, she was coming in, and he came down from the steps, and the robbers who were on both sides of the car turned around and shot him because they surprised her. They surprised he surprised them. It was difficult for me to know what to do. It was, it was hard to process that we were within a couple hundred feet of a murder the night before. And as I would take my trash out, I would walk across the blood-stained pavement, and that was there for a week or more. And there were many seminary students who were confused, who were uncertain, who were afraid of what could be. What we knew is that there was an enemy out there. We just didn't know who it was, and I didn't know when it might come back again. It was a random, violent act. I went to to church. I went to Northwest Bible Church in Texas. I led a Bible study there, and there was a guy named Keith Swanner there. He led the Dallas SWAT team. I figured, who who else should I ask? Who's better to ask for advice than the guy who leads the SWAT team? I said, Keith, what do you think I should do? He's like, brother! (laughs) Brother, you need to get a gun. You need to be ready to shoot somebody in their living room, man. Are you ready to do that? Let their heart bleed out in your living room. And I said, Keith... You need more Bible study, my friend. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to talk to you, Keith. So I called my uncle. I called my uncle, Uncle Charlie, who is a cop. And uh, I asked him, and he gave me a completely different perspective. And I was still confused. <laughs> like, what, what, do I, what do I do? Because what my instinct was, I want to protect. My wife was the first instinct. We didn't have any kids yet. But I want to protect her, and I don't know how to do it. Now, with that being said, here's what I think. Fear, fear's in the air. Fear's in the air not just for me there, but I think fear's in the air for us now. Fear's in the air in our culture, in our society. I was just introduced this week to a new acronym. I've heard a lot of acronyms, you probably have too, but here's a new one for me, VUCA, V-U-C-A. Sounds like the restaurant VUCA, but it's VUCA. It stands for describing an era which is volatile, uncertain, um, complex, and ambiguous. Does that describe where we are right now? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, VUCA. It was Deborah Hirsch who wrote about this. She put it this way. She said, I experience this as I travel across North America, Europe, and Australia. I listen to the stories of local church leaders trying to navigate increasingly complex situations. Take, for instance, our German friends trying to be a presence for Christ to both Syrian refugees and the hostile locals who want them kicked out of the country. Even in beautiful Sweden, there's the rise of both the alt-right and alt-left groups, as well as Muslim extremism. All over Europe, racial, political, and religious divides are being drawn. She brings it closer to home to talk about our own experience in social media in our Christian North American context. She says, it's almost as if our statements made on social media don't have significance unless they cut someone just a little. And of course, we all have our news sources and facts to back up our beliefs and behaviors ordinary Christians are caught in this boxing match. We are polarized against our friends, our families, and our neighbors. Fear is in the air. Fear is in the air, and we don't know who the enemy is, and we're not quite sure what to do. It's ambiguous. It's uncertain. It's volatile. It's certainly, certainly complex. Dan White put it this way when he talked about the challenges that exist between us. He said this, the hostility that we feel toward each other must be dismantled, or it will destroy us. It might be the most pressing issue of our time, It might be the most pressing issue of our time. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Easter? What a great way to start an Easter message and a story of people being killed in a parking lot. (laughs) What in the world does this have to do with Easter? Easter is all about God overcoming death. Death has this lingering fear over all of us, this ultimate fear that you cannot overcome it, and God sent Christ to overcome fear. And here's what I believe, that fear is death's messenger, that fear is death's messenger, and it sends to each of us a fear of running out, fear of losing relationships, fear of the unknown, fear of people who might shoot you in a parking lot, fear of people who believe differently and live differently. And fear is simply, in my opinion, death's messenger. It is the the echo of death saying, at some point, things that are good may end. You may be a victim of them. Watch out. Watch your children. Watch your beliefs. Watch your faith closely. Know who's right and know who's wrong. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be guarded. Because death may come to your door and maybe to mine. But here's the deal on Easter. We just went through this. He is risen. And because he's risen indeed, the power of the ultimate control of death is gone, and that impacts fear's message if we will let it. I love the way Jesus put it. He put it this way. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And I'm convinced in this world that I'm in, and I think the world that you're in too, that if we want to win in this world, that there is actually no win in fear there's no win in panic there's no win in fighting there's no win in isolation there's no win in enemy making but i believe this and i want to try to say this this morning that love is the win now if that sounds super soft and about as um like old-fashioned and antiquated as you can possibly get you know maybe we should roll the hallmark music uh you know cue the credits isn't that cute and neat love is the win. let's all eat marshmallows on the way out and just have be super soft and squishy right here's the deal. Like, love is the win because at the end of the day, Jesus decided, Jesus decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit myself to the will of the Father, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus went to the cross. He was willing to be tortured. His body ripped apart and die for you and for me. Why? Because love not because he was courageous, not because he was more brave than you or me, although probably was. Why? What compelled him? What drew him? And it was love. And so don't think of love, not Christian love, as this soft, marshmallowy, soft thing. I'm talking about love that drives you and drives me and drove our Savior to the cross. Love is the win. And this is why I'm in this series called The Greatest, starting here today on Easter Sunday, wanting to kick off a drawing of our hearts back to love as the wind for all of us, the greatest step that I can argue that you can take for help and healing in the world in which you live now, in the relationships that you engage in, the people who might be considered your enemies, maybe the people who don't like you, people maybe that you don't like, that I think there's something you can do and I can do on the heels of Easter that can bring healing and hope. And not just continue to fight and argue and find our enemies, but love, I would argue, is the win. Now, to do that, I want to go to a passage of Scripture. I'm not just going to share my opinions here. I want to go to a passage of Scripture that I think can guide us for the next six weeks together. And it's actually a chapter that, if you've been in church for a little while, it's very familiar to you. If you haven't, I'm super excited about introducing it to you. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be for six weeks, all right? Looking at it maybe from a different lens. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there to 1 Corinthians 13. It's in the second, like two-thirds of your Bible. Um, You can find a Bible in the chairs around you. If you don't own one, by the way, that is our gift to you. I'd love to, to have you take that with you. But we're just going to jump right into the middle of this letter that a guy named Paul wrote. And just so you know, in chapter 12, just before 13, Paul was writing to the church about spiritual gifts. And he was saying that in the body, there's all kinds of gifts. Some people are the the head, the feet, the the toes, whatever. And we all need one another. And then he finished that chapter by saying, but let me tell you the most excellent way. This, he said, is the most excellent way. And then here comes chapter 13. So read with me, or you just sit there and read. I mean, you don't read along because that would be kind of strange. Hard to do that. Anyway, I'm reading from the NIV. We're going to read the first three verses. I'm going to read the first three verses. You know, hey, if you want to read along and try to read along, that's fine. I should probably move on from that. Should I move on from that? All right. Verse 1, here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and my body over to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I'm going to break this section down into three points, three verses, three points, and there's actually, uh, he's given us a gift. Paul has given us a gift because I would argue that in this section, in these three verses, he outlines for us three ways, three substitutes that we, three substitute ways or paths that we can take thoughtlessly To try to, I'm gonna say, win at life, or to try to silence the voice of fear. And remember, I would argue fear is death's messenger. To try to silence the voice of fear that we're afraid that we're gonna run out, we're afraid we're not gonna have enough, we're afraid relationships will fall apart, we're afraid things will go badly. And so we do things to try to keep fear at bay, which is why I talked to my wild friend Keith, and also why I called my Uncle Charlie, because I was afraid. And I needed some answers. And this is the way functionally we all work to some degree in life. And Paul gives us in three verses three substitutes for love that if we're not careful, we will fall into as well. So let's look at them beginning at verse one. Just read verse one again with me. Look at it as I read it. He puts it this way again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal the first substitute that I would argue that he makes a case for here is this, single word, smarts. (laughs) if you can speak well, if you can influence people with your words, if you're witty, if you're charming, if you're able to speak quickly and you're you're thoughtful, you're smart enough to run your own business. You're smart enough to run out of your own business. (laughs) You're smart enough to get a degree. You're smart enough to figure out how to do things without a degree. You're smart enough to figure out how to nuance and find your way through difficult relationships, what to say and what not to say, you've got intelligence. One of my uh, professors in my educational career knew everything there was to know, it seemed like, about history and culture. Brilliant, brilliant guy. But what I ran into was when we talked about a chance to travel on a missions trip one semester during a, a break. He was incredibly hostile to the idea because it would impact one of his classes. I still struggle with it to this day, because I thought, man, I, I love your class, I really did. But really, uh, you're gonna push against me, go, I'm gonna miss one 45-minute class of yours, and you're not willing to let me go travel <laughs> across the world. Went to the Philippines to engage in a mission trip there for 10 days. It was gonna cost a class, and there was no understanding, there was no grace there. And when I engaged with that prof from there on forward, I didn't hate him. But I will tell you that my struggle to understand how he could come to that position was deep. I didn't understand it. I still think to this day I don't either. And I don't want to crucify him, but I want to explain like, that this is, this is the smarts. If you have all the knowledge in the world, but you do not have love, what do you have? Paul says, well, here's what you have. You're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What do you think the rest of that semester sounded like to me? Gong gong, like I hear your words, but they don't mean much to me because I don't feel like you loved in that space. Even if we disagreed, I missed that compassionate understanding. Now, smarts. (laughs) There's a second substitute. I'm going to skip right over, Go, go, go right to it. Verse two, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, he says, I am nothing. Not only smarts, but I'll put it this way, spirituality. Spirituality is a substitute for love. Sounds weird to talk to a church about that, right? Let me put it this way. I remember years ago, I went on a a father-son retreat. I think it was with my dad. We traveled to the mountains of maybe North Carolina. I forget what it was. And there I met a a man um, who was very conservatively dressed, more so than even around here. Uh, certainly have been around this church. Um, And what he told me as a young man, I'm never going to forget, which is odd, because I don't remember anything else about the weekend. I was very into basketball at that time and uh, into athletics. And he said to me very clearly in a moment of sharing around a group, he said, I see no spiritual purpose to basketball or athletics. What a waste of your energy. I thought, thank you for sharing that deep, profound truth with me, brother. I love that. I thought, it emptied me. Now, I can still remember and tell you right now, I can tell you what the guy looked like. I was maybe 18 years old. It wasn't like I was six. I still remember what he looked like. And you know what happened there? This, there's this belief from his side, at least, all you need, you just need to pray more. If you had enough faith to move mountains, don't waste your time. Doing all the other things, the arts, forget it. What a waste of time. Athletics, forget it. What a waste of time. You just need to be more spiritual. Listen, get up earlier. Pray more, read more. Let's get a strong devotional book for you for the next four hours. You don't have time to pray for two hours a day. What's wrong with you? You know that's where real help and healing comes from, right? I'm not against some of those things. But without love, Paul says, I am nothing, spirituality is a substitute, can be a substitute. To win in this world, what did this guy want? He wanted control over his world. He wanted God to be present. So the best way to do that is to be deeply spiritual. But what he left me as a young believer is completely empty. I felt zero love and compassion in my engagement with him. Spirituality can be a substitute for love, as odd as it sounds, even from Paul. The third one is in verse 3. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, he says, I gain nothing. This one is even stranger. If you don't like the thought that spirituality can be a substitute for love, check this one out. How about service being a substitute for love? Service is the thing that is kind of the North Star for you. Here's what, what I mean by that, and here's what I think Paul means. This is so normal for us to encourage people in the church to serve, but he's saying if, if I give all that I have to the poor, like if you take service the whole way and give it all away, you don't just sponsor one child, you sponsor all of the children in the dim, and you sponsor them all, and you give it all, and then you, you give over your body. You don't even care about yourself anymore. You do whatever it takes to serve other people. I have seen, and maybe you have seen, people who are incredibly manipulative in their service who are passive-aggressive in how they do that, who serve you and you know it so that at the end of the day that you will do what they want to do. That if sometimes they give, they give to people who are in need, but they need those people to continue to be in need so that they feel like they are the savior of the moment. So what Paul is saying is if love doesn't drive your service, then you have actually gained Nothing. And so he introduces these three substitutes for love. He says, you can have all the smarts in the world. You can have the tongues of men or of angels. You can, be, you can have the kind of faith that can move mountains. No one else but you believes that this can change. But you do. And, and you can be the greatest servant of all. Give everything over. But if I don't have love, boom, boom, boom. He says, you're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. I am nothing, and I've gained nothing, nothing at all. So here's the question I have. If if love is the win, what can I do? If love is actually the win, what do I do with this? What does this look like? How can I move forward on this? The first question you might be asking is, well, Tim, what do you mean when you say love? I could tell that's exactly what you all were thinking right now in this moment. I'm so glad you asked that question. So here's what I would say. When I talk about love in this series, the Greek word for love in this case is a word that you may have heard of before. It's agape, love, which is an unconditional kind of love. And so we can understand it to be unconditional. But let me push it further because this word means something more than that. It also means this, and this is the best way I'm going to try to describe it. It means this. I want to encourage you to think of love as warm regard for and interest in another. Warm regard for and interest in another. Now, that still may be too in your head and let me bring that down a little bit. Here's what I found. I don't know if this has been true for you. I have found during this season, I'm going to take it back a year or two. I have found that there are friend groups of Christians, and you may be in a friend group with Christians, who will kick you out of your group for loving your enemies, but will embrace you for hating your enemies. Have you experienced that? Because if this is true, if love is warm regard for an interest in the other, and we have friend groups who call themselves Christians, and we feel more comfortable hating the left and hating the right, because I will be more accepted by the people who I'm with. If I were actually to do what Jesus said and to love my enemies... You know this. You may be kicked out of your family or out of your friend group for even engaging with or praying for or talking about or having coffee with to listen to someone who's on whatever other side may be. And so, love is warm regard for and pulling up to the table and an interest in even my enemy. It's not soft. That could get you kicked out of relationships. It absolutely could. Here's the problem. Here's why I bring this up. Again, I'll say this. Fear is death's messenger. Death hovers over us all. And it sends us a message that we need to protect ourselves. And fear is incredibly comforting. That may seem strange. I love the way Dan White puts it. He says, there is a concreteness and a clarity to fear that comforts us. I know who to stay away from. I know who my enemies are. I know who to oppose, and I know who to potentially hate. This helps us. Oh, oh, they voted that way, right? Okay, yep. They're oriented that way? Yep, okay. They have that background? Yep, that's fair. Okay. Oh, they think this way? Yep, they dress that way? Yep. They smoke this? Yep, they don't do that? Okay, yep, 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 yep. Helps me know who I can be afraid of. And that is comforting. And love confronts that. Because I want you to have warm regard and interest in the other. So I want to ask this question. Who or what? Who or what am I afraid of? Who or what am I afraid of? Now, what I did because, you know, hey, I was preparing this and you weren't, so you didn't have time to do this. I wrote down a little bit of a list. I wanna encourage you to reflect on this. If this list helps you, then have at it, and I'm sure if I were talking to you, you would clarify my list, you would argue with it, you would add some things to it. Here's what I hear. I hear people being afraid of the liberals, the conservatives, people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. I hear people being afraid of those with different views of sexual expression or identity. I see fear of identity and slowing down enough to face our own emptiness. I see a fear of running out, fear of kids rejecting us, fear of health crises, early death. I see fear of loneliness and isolation. I see fear of someone leaving. I see fear of falling back into addictions or never being able to break them in the first place. I see fear of never reaching our goals or fear of others taking what is ours. I see a fear of war, the fear of losing our history, and certainly a fear of the future. Certainly there's more. And all those things that are in our world, not unlike that mystery person who shot and killed our neighbor, lingers in the air and it sits there. And, G- and John made a comment in one of his letters. He said this, he said, perfect love cast out fear. And if you've been in church, you've heard that before. This is not in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you something else. That I think the inverse is true. I think perfect fear cast out love. And when that fear is perfected in me, and maybe in you, I will, I will protect me and those I love over and above you and what you might bring to me. Whether it's ideology, financial impact or ruin, relational pain, but I'm going to dig in and protect my own because perfect fear casts out love. So who or what am I afraid of? Who or what are you afraid of? Here's what I want to offer to you as well. One last thing. I want to encourage you to write this question down and to think about this. I also want to offer you something because in a minute we're going to pull out what we call a communication card that's in your chair around you. You're going to have a time to write down some of your own thoughts. I want to offer you something specific to this series. I'm going to put it this way. If you're interested in more, what I want to give to you is a weekly connection point throughout this series. I wanna encourage you, if you want more, to write the greatest on your communication card. And what that will do is we will take, if you give me a readable email address, we will send to you weekly more on this series. From from me, sharing more in depth with what does it look like, what does it mean to love? I wanna draw this down further. Not just up here in our heads that we understand, but I want to bring it down to you at a deeper level. If you want more on a weekly basis, one email a week for six weeks, I want to give that to you. Write the greatest on there. So who or what do you fear, friends? Because again, fear is death's messenger. And on this Easter Sunday, one more time, he is risen. risen If that is true, that love cast out fear and greater love has no one. And he laid down his life for his friends. You do not need to let fear control you. Because being smart, being spiritual, being a great servant, if driven by fear and not by love, will lead us nowhere. And on this, this Easter morning, with the empty tomb, what a picture of the greatest love that we could ever have. I invite you back next week for the greatest part two. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together here this morning for Easter, for this hope of the empty tomb and the resurrection, for the hope that we hold sometimes only in our minds that doesn't reach our hearts, our values, or our behavior our hands and our feet. This, this hope that, yes, there is a love that can cast out fear. God, this call into our current cultural moment of hostility and anger and enemy-making is one that I hope we hear on this Easter Sunday, to be willing to do a little excavating work in our own lives, to consider or to reconsider who or what I fear, who or what is keeping me from being willing to love and to show a warm regard and an interest and those that I've historically called an enemy. So, Father, I know not unlike the fear I had when the neighbors were, were shot and killed in Dallas. There's a fear in the air, a volatility, an uncertainness, a complexity, and an ambiguity. I pray that you would help us as people who want to follow Christ to allow perfect love, to cast out that fear by pulling a chair up, by having a warm regard and an interest in those around us. That might cost us, cost your son everything, and that is why we celebrate Easter. So Father, we thank you for the hope and joy and power of this day, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray.